Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist. We are so glad to see you out here this snowy Sunday morning. We are glad you braved the weather, first of all, and second of all, that you made it here safely. So God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. As we turn our attention to the service, before we turn our attention to the Word, I, I do want to bring something to everyone's attention, and we don't do this all the time, but when I know about it, I'm going to say something. And so this morning, we actually have an important birthday. Uh, Carol McBride turns 85 years old today. So when you, see, when you see Carol this morning, make sure that you uh, wish her happy birthday. And rather than us all singing it together right now, I want all of us to sing it to her independently before she leaves this morning. So she gets like 200 different versions of the happy birthday song. But happy birthday, Carol. We're so glad to, to have you here with us. And we are blessed that God has given you life. And, and we are thankful for all the years that we've been able to spend with you and pray for many more. So God bless you this morning. Um, as we talk about prayer, we did sing this morning, uh, Small Town Savior, and as Nathan noted, that's a song that we wrote several years back uh, to create a means for us to remember our vision statement. Now, you may have noticed as you walk in to the church uh, through our carport entrance, what I would call our main entrance where most people come in and go out, there, there's a really nice piece of artwork on the wall. And people often ask, well, what's that for? Well, it, it hides two really ugly closet doors where, where we keep old records that we don't really need anymore but by law have to keep. And so it hides that. But it also, beyond being just a really decorative, pretty piece of artwork, is if you look on it, there are words. And those words say, guided by prayer, committed by faith, empowered by God's spirit, and working together to share Jesus Christ. That is the vision statement of First Baptist Church. That, that's the kind of what, what I would call, now there's a lot of faith elements, a lot of doctrinal things that we could talk about. You know, last week we talked about baptism. But these are what I would call the fundamental distinctives of First Baptist Church. They are the things that will help us to become and do what God wants us to do at a church, as a church. Right? That we're going to be guided by prayer. That, that we are going to be committed to our, our mission that God has given us as a church by faith in Jesus Christ. That we are going to only be able to do this so long as we are empowered by God's Spirit. And what is the ultimate goal? But that we would work together to share Jesus Christ. That's our vision statement as First Baptist Church. It's not something that, that we always talk about, but it does go on a lot of our communications, a lot of our, our, our different things that we print up from time to time, and you do see it at various points throughout the church. But we thought that it would be good for us to spend some time actually honing in and focusing in on these various distinctives. So the, the next few weeks, we're going to be in this series that I'm calling Fundamentals of FBC, where we're going to independently look at each of these items as we go through them. So today we are going to actually focus on being guided by prayer, as you might have guessed as we went through the music. And as we do, we're going to take a moment to pray that God would speak to us. But we're also going to, as an addendum to that, not secondarily, but along with that, we're going to pray for what's going on across the street right now. Because you may or may not be right, realize this, you may have probably saw the full parking lot, but the point is actually having their transition of pastoral leadership today. As the baton of leadership is passing from Pastor Steve, who's been there for over 20 years, 
to a great guy named John Gibson who's taking over as the pastor of the point. So we're going to be praying for them. We're going to pray for them today as First Baptist Church that God would work through and in the point. And we're going to pray that God would, would be in that leadership transfer over the next several weeks and months, that God's work would continue to happen through the point, and that God would continue to do great things through them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue on with our service this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to each of us. We thank you for the blessing of uh, all of the folks that you have brought to be a part of this church and various churches throughout the community of Seymour. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to build your church and all of its wonderful diversity and complexity. Lord, we do take this moment to pray together for what is going on at Seymour High School right now. We pray for Pastor Steve Green and his wife, Lori. Lord, we thank you for their many years of faithfulness to your gospel work here in the community of Seymour and the many lives that have been touched over his 21-year tenure as the pastor at the point. Lord, we pray that you'd give them peace in their hearts and that you would give them strength and guidance as they transition into this new season of life. Lord, we pray for Pastor John Gibson and his family as they move into Seymour and as they begin to integrate into the community and they begin to observe and figure out how they are to function best in the community as they figure out how things work at their church. Lord, we pray that you would hold them together in unity and love at the point that you would protect them, that you would walk with them and that you would continue to do a great work through their assembly. Lord, be with us in our time together as we consider prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds and that you would help us to be a people that is guided by prayer. And may we understand that if we are going to be guided by prayer, we must, in fact, be people that pray. So, Lord, speak to us through this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love that. I don't know if you saw my post, I think that's incredibly appropriate because I made a post on Facebook this week that talked about how the, the blessing of sound happening in the, in the church. And I hope you are not annoyed by the fact that we have children and babies making sounds in this church, but you see the amazing blessing from God that that is. Did you know that we have, I think it's six right now, babies that are going to be born to people in our church that come week after week within the next several months? Six. That's craziness. That's great. Praise God and thank God and thank those of you that are pregnant that continue coming. (laughs) I do want to warn you, you probably shouldn't drink out of this water fountain out here because something's going on. When Robin and I first got married, uh, we had uh, really big plans for a robust prayer life. At that time, we were in Bible college, we were studying to do what we're doing right now, and, and as a result, we were surrounded by some amazing couples of faith, men and women who had great relationships and, and who had incredible uh, communication patterns and that, that we just really looked up to as married Christian couples, and, and as, as we were beginning our young married life, they would consistently give us advice on things that we should do and things that, that we shouldn't do. But one of the things that, that came up a lot was that we should pray to, together, right? That the couple that prays together stays together. Put a pin in that. 
So we decided that we were going to have this, this pattern of, of prayer in our lives. We heard these stories about how they arranged prayer in their lives to make sure that it was a, an important pattern that they did every day. And so Robin and I talked about how that would work best for us in the midst of trying to work and going to college. And we decided that, that for us as a young married couple that we would pray together every night at bedtime. That we would we'd come together and we would take turns. And, and we didn't feel like both of us needed to pray every time we, we were praying together. But that one or the other would pray. It was a great idea, a very noble thought. And, you know, for a, a, a long time we did it. But I, I can remember, I can remember when I realized that this particular pattern of praying together and, and that maybe praying together the, in, in the, the, this long, drawn-out way just wasn't for us. That it wasn't something that, that was big and, and possible even for us. One night, it was my turn to pray. And so as we were laying in the, there in bed together, I began praying. And I'm going to tell you, boys and girls, the spirit was moving. I was feeling it, and I was praying. It was a deep theological prayer, and God was just speaking to us in clear ways, and I was going and going and going. And I remember at some point in the prayer, I would give, I would give little moments for the Spirit to move and speak to us. And I remember after one of those pauses, brief pauses, that I came back into the prayer, and I felt Robin kind of jump to a start. And I, I just couldn't help it mid-prayer. I'm like, oh my gosh, you fell asleep during prayer time. And she's like, what? I said, you fell asleep. Like, I'm mid-sentence over here. I stopped for two seconds. And you, like, it's just like Jesus said, you can't wait with me for one hour in prayer. You have little faith. She said, what are you talking about? She said, Jeremy, you fell asleep three hours ago. I'm like, no, I did not. She showed me the alarm clock. And sure enough, it wasn't she that had fallen asleep, but me. While praying, I took a three-hour nap in the middle of a prayer, woke up and went right back into it like nothing had happened. That was the night that we decided this isn't the thing that we should do in maybe this way. That was the end of that particular adventure. Now, we still pray together, just not in that same way. And why do I tell you this story? Because I grew up believing that in order to have a robust prayer life, you had to pray in big flowing chunks of time. That you had to devote an hour to, to the quiet and, and to bowing our heads and closing our eyes and focusing in on prayer real hard. And, and I, I grew up believing that, that in order to have a robust prayer life, that maybe you needed a prayer journal where you recorded your prayers. It, it, was, it was this, in my mind, it was this very, uh, and, and I know this word isn't loved, but mystical thing. Very spiritual, deep, feely thing. And it just wasn't something that came naturally to me. It, it never has. It still do doesn't. I basically thought that in order for us to have robust prayer lives, that we all had to be aesthetic monks. And I think many of us make that same mistake. We think that in order to have a functional and a powerful prayer life, that we have to have this big spiritual set-aside time that we do. And, and if you do, that's great. 
Some of us are naturally prone, and we have the gift of prayer. We have, we have the gift of being prayer warriors. You know, I remember that movie that came out a while back, War Room, people going into the closet. Telling you what, if I go into a closet and begin to pray, someone's going to have to wake me up a little bit later, as, as demonstrated through my previous story. That never worked for me, and so I always wondered, am I just not a praying person? Am I just not a spiritual person? Do I just not, even as a pastor, do I just not understand how prayer is supposed to work? Because I hear how they do it. And it's awesome. I respect the mess out of it. But it doesn't work for me. I can't do it in that way. So what do we do? Especially for those of us that are a part of the body of First Baptist Church. The very first aspect of our fundamentals, our vision statement, is that we will be a people that is guided by prayer. I mean, it is the foundational fundamental off of which all of the others are built, right? That prayer is going to guide every other aspect that follows thereafter. Prayer is the practice that undergirds and guides everything we are and everything we do. But what does that mean and what should it look like in our lives? How do we become people that are guided by prayer? I want to look at a few passages this morning and, and consider how we might more intentionally be a people that prays and a people that are guided by prayer, both individually and institutionally together as the body of Christ. So if you have a Bible, turn with me first here to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to, you can't do a message or a series where you're going to talk very extensively about prayer and not touch on the Lord's Prayer. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9 and going to verse 13. And it says this, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here we have this, this prayer that the Lord gave his disciples in the context of the passage for those that, that maybe don't know. They, they've asked Jesus, Jesus is teaching, like, how do we pray? If you go to Luke, the disciples actually ask him and say, hey, Lord, teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples. And, and so Jesus gives them this model here. And as we look at this, I think that the thing that jumps out to me most is that prayer helps us maintain a proper perspective. So much of, of what we see in the Lord's prayer, in this model prayer that Jesus gives, is about focus. It's about keeping our attention in the right place so that we move in the right direction and do the right things. It's about understanding who we are and understanding who God is and how that should impact and then influence how we interact with the world around us. Prayer helps us maintain proper perspective. Now, one of the things that, that I think we need to be careful about with something like the Lord's Prayer is that we, not, we don't get it into our heads that in order for us to pray properly, we have to say the right words. That's, that's, one, of the, that's one of the things that people tell me all the time. They're like, well, I want to learn how to pray, but I don't know what to say. 
I don't know what to, and, and there's a lot of books you can read that will give you pre-written prayers that are valuable. I don't mean to discount that, but I think sometimes we fall into the trap of believing that, that prayer is like saying a, a, the right magic words. And if I don't say the right words in the right order or the right way, that will God hear me or will, will God understand me? Will God move in the way that I need him to move? But prayer is not about saying the right words at the right time or avoiding saying the wrong words. When Jesus taught his disciples this prayer, notice he wasn't telling them what to pray, but he is teaching them how to pray. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. In Luke it says, when you pray, you should pray like this essentially is what the Greek is saying. In both cases, Jesus is not giving a prescription, but a description. You know what the difference is, right? And this is for sure one of the errors of the church historically, is we take things in the Bible that are meant to be descriptive. They are to paint for us a picture, usually a pretty broad picture, that we can then live within. And we take these descriptive things that are giving us an understanding, and we make them prescriptive, and we begin believing and teaching that you have to do it this way all the time. And if you don't do it in this way, it doesn't work, which is why we end up believing that I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. Jesus is providing principles to guide the conversation, not some magic words to make sure God listens. Prayer is not about saying the right words in the right way at the right time. You know what prayer is? Prayer is intended to function as a conversation between a loving father and his children. Let me say that one again. Prayer is intended to be a conversation between a loving father and his children. Notice where Jesus starts. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Now this would have been scandalous at the time. You go back through the Old Testament, and there are only a couple of references where people refer to God as the Father. But people would not have prayed in such a a relational, informal way. We think of this as being formal, right? Because now we've had the Lord's Prayer for a long time. This is normative for us. And so what was incredibly revolutionary and, and innovative at the time. They they created this informal connection to God. We've formalized. We've made it into a hoop. There's some great things that have come. I love the Our Father song. You know, Our Father, which are... I love it. Great. I love it. But but we've got to be careful that we don't don't go too far in making that sacred. And, And when I say sacred, I mean above and beyond, outside of the realm of the ordinary. Jesus was trying to normalize prayer and our relationship with the Lord. Like any good parent, God wants to hear from his kids. God is personal and caring. And the first principle of prayer is that we should just do it. That our heavenly Father cares for us and wants to hear from us. Now, one of the greatest things with the advent of the cell phone is FaceTime. I love FaceTime. To be honest with you all, I am struggling terribly with my kids coming to the end of their time living in my house. I like legit depressed. I know several of you told me that Michaela would move out and I would get over it and I'd move on with my life. You were wrong. (laughs) 
Robin and I were home alone yesterday. JJ was out doing his thing with his friends. God bless him. And Michaela's up at school, and Robin and I are sitting there, and I'm like, I'm just sad. And Robin's laying on the couch staring at the pictures of the kids. Like, they haven't even moved out completely yet, and here we are. But you know what FaceTime does? FaceTime allows us to see and speak to Michaela every night. And I mean almost every night she FaceTimes us. We have a routine, and she'll call in, and we got her on the little phone, and Robin and I fight over which one of us gets to hold the phone, and we have the phone. It doesn't even matter that she normally calls on my phone. If I don't get to it first, she's got the phone, right? So we hold the phone, and Michaela's on there, and she'll, she'll talk to us about what's going on that day. Now, mind you, it is almost every day, so we know what happened yesterday. So she'll tell us about the new day and what's happened. And sometimes Michaela will call and she'll say, hey, I just wanted to check in with you today, get our nightly call in, make sure everything was okay. And we'll sit there for a moment. She's like, I really don't have anything else to say. We're like, well, nothing really happened here either. So sometimes she'll just start blah, blah, blahing on about something that she watched on TV, like she watched some Star Wars thing that we really don't care about. But you know what? I will happily sit on the cell phone and listen to my daughter meander on for hours about some ridiculous Star Wars cartoon that I cannot get into for hours. You know why? Because I just want to hear my daughter's voice. I just want to see her face. I want her to know that I love her. I want to know that she loves me. And having that time where we connect and we talk, it doesn't matter what she says. I just want to hear from her. You know, I think think that is the way that God is with us. The Bible is full of verses. And when I say full, I mean full of verses that that tell us that we should pray to God, that we should call out to God, that God hears us, that God cares about us, that that what concerns our hearts concerns God, that when, when our hearts are broken, that God's heart breaks with us, that God understands where we are because he's been there through Jesus Christ, that God wants us to talk to him. God hears and God cares. And God, as the loving Father, our Father, to those of us who have believed, God just wants to hear from you. It doesn't really matter what you say or if you have a lot to say. He just wants you to reach out. Prayer goes a step further than just uh, this communication with the Father. That is foundational. But prayer helps us to know God's place and to remember our own. Prayer helps us to know God's place and remember our own. Back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. God is, in fact, our loving Father. But we need to never forget that he is, in fact, also our holy God. We need to know our place. It's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to fall into the trap of believing that because God is always accessible to us, because God cares, because as we're going to see that that when we pray, God does respond and prayer makes a difference and God moves on our behalf. Because of all those things, we, we sometimes begin to fall into the trap of believing that we are in some ways his equals. Now, we would never say that, but we do in fact act that way sometimes. Or, or maybe to put it a different way, we begin to believe that God owes us something. I, I despise, one of the things I despise in modern church culture is the whole name it, claim it thing. Where we think that we can demand something of God because he's written in his word. 
that God is somehow beholden to us. Now, God will be faithful to his word. God will be faithful to his promises. But brothers and sisters, may we never forget our place and get to the point where we think we can make demands of Almighty God. God is not our divine on-call servant. He loves us and he welcomes us into his presence. But he is still our transcendent, all-powerful God. God Almighty. And we need to be careful that our prayers don't devolve into something where we lift ourselves up, believing that God needs to work for us. But rather, may we remember through our prayers that God is our God and that we need God to work in and through us. Our names are not the names that matter most. Our names are not the the point of emphasis in our prayers. Our words don't make God do anything. What, what, What makes God and what results in God moving is the greatness of God's name and his choice to be in relationship with us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your, your name. Notice where the focus is there. It's on the greatness of God's name. And it's going to go on to talk about not only is it the greatness of God's name that matters, but it is his kingdom and his will. It's his priorities and his greatness that we're building. There's a lot of talk these days about name, image, and likeness rights. People be making mad money just because their face, right? Kids in high school making millions of dollars because they can run with a ball in their hands. And if you look, there's, there's a ton of things out there that talk about making sure that we curate our brand appropriately. That we build our brand. That's the, that's the big thing in, in modern parlance. I remember my nephew one time, he posted something. We were driving back from, down here from Indianapolis, and he'd posted a picture on Instagram, right? Just a simple picture. Posted a picture on Instagram, and he, he looked at it an hour and a half later, and there were only 35 likes, so we deleted it. It's like, hey, Peyton, that was a good picture. Why'd you delete it? He said, well, it wasn't getting enough traction, so it was going to hurt my brand. Now, there's a totally different message about the unhealthiness of social media. That is for something for us to have later. And spoiler alert, I hate social media. So we'll just throw that out there. But, but my nephew, is, as, a, as a 12-year-old, was curating his brand. He was trying to guard things so he could build the brand appropriately so that, that he didn't hurt his ability to make money later in life. And while we might not do it in the same way, I do think there's a sense where we as churches have have devolved into brand building and brand management for the church. We think that it is our job to build the brand of First Baptist Church. Now, you those who attend on a regular basis know that I'm not particularly good at this, and I really don't care. I'm not concerned with building our brand. And I don't think we should be concerned with that because we should understand as a church, as we come to God and we pray to God for guidance and directions and assistance, that that we are coming to God because we are trying to build his brand. We are trying to build the greatness of Almighty God because we serve the transcendent, the only true Almighty God of the universe. May we never forget that. May, May we never forget our place and elevate ourselves above God. Prayer serves as a means of recognizing that God is God and that I am not. It's a recognition that I need God, not that God needs me. His name is holy. 
It's his kingdom that we are seeking to build. It is his will that we are called to follow. In our will, the will that we follow will determine the way that we go. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Prayer reminds us, it helps us to know our, God's place and remember our own. But prayer also in the context of that reminds us of our deep, deep need for God. What does he say? Give us today our daily bread. Is there a more basic food on the earth than bread? I mean, I'll wait. I can't think of one. It, it is the stereotypical food. If you're going to talk about food, it is bread, right? That's down through history. And I realize that now in our modern gluten-free age that bread is the evil devil. I get it. But, but that wasn't always the case. Bread has been, throughout time, the most basic of foods. I mean, now if we, if we want to say something is boring sometimes, do we not say? Well, that's white bread, right? It's, there, there is nothing more basic than white bread, wonder bread. Which is kind of ironic if you think about it, that wonder bread is the most basic of things. But anyways, I digress. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, Jesus is not really just concerned with the food that they eat. Make no mistake, that was part of it. You know what Jesus is concerned? That he's trying to get these people to elevate to the Lord when they say this? Give us this day our physical needs. Lord, provide for what we need. And notice that it's our daily bread. This, is, this doesn't register in the same way for us as it would for the crowd in Jesus' day. Because the way that we work, and particularly in our age of plenty, we don't just get money for our bread, but we have money to spare. Even, even in most cases, the poorest of the poor of, poorest of us have money for bread and several other things. You know, in Jesus' day, when he says, you come to the Lord and say, give us this day our daily bread, that was not just empty words. Most of the people to whom Jesus was speaking made enough wages per day for the bread that they needed for that day. In many cases, if the poor people of that age did not work a day, they did not eat. They were literally hand to mouth. So when Jesus says, hey, pray, give us this day our daily bread, he is literally praying, hey, give us the sustenance. Give us what we need to live this day and provide the work I need to provide for my needs. Provide the food I need to, to strengthen and grow myself and my family. Provide the physical things that I need, Lord. In our day, we tend to lose sight of that. As one scholar put it, we must take care to pray for our needs, not our greeds. We must take care to pray for our needs, not our great greeds. Prayer reminds us that God will provide for our needs according to his grace and his time and his way. Give us our daily bread. He moves on to our spiritual needs. He says, forgive us when we fail. Forgive us our trespasses, our sins, our debts. Not only must we rely on God to meet our physical needs, but he is the only option to meet our, our spiritual needs. We need forgiveness of our sins, trespasses, or debts. Romans best paints the picture of this for us. 
Romans 3.23 teaches us that all have sinned, all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the first part says that the wages, what we have earned through our sin is in fact death. The second half of the verse goes on though and says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God will save us from our sins. That if we pray and we call out to God, he will provide what we need spiritually. He will take our sins and make us righteous. Our failures have run up a spiritual tab that we are unable to pay on our own. And by God's grace, God himself has paid the price for us, canceled our debt, by his grace through faith. But notice that it doesn't just stop with us asking God for our forgiveness. And it's not just come to God and pray to God and ask God and thank God for your forgiveness and spiritual provision. Jesus goes on, he says, ask God for that spiritual provision, but then ask God for you to, to help you to extend that to others. For, forgive us of our debts or trespasses as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, sometimes we, we take this to mean that God won't forgive us if we don't forgive others. And Jesus talks about that in different ways, but I think what Jesus is really saying is that we, if we aren't willing to forgive others, that we don't really understand our need for forgiveness. And Jesus illustrates that through parables. And I think that's true. Often we come to the Lord wanting simple fire in, in insurance. But, but God's forgiveness is not just about keeping us from going to hell. You do understand that, right? That, that God's forgiveness and God's salvation is not just about dragging us out of hell and letting us un, into heaven. That there's a deeper purpose. That God saves us so that we can live life and live it abundantly now. That the grace that God gives to us, we are then to share with the world around us. That our full and complete understanding of the gospel and the greatest indication that we have truly received it is not just in the words we say, but in how that then influences the life we live afterwards. The forgiveness we receive should lead us to offer the same grace to others. Because prayer changes us from the inside out. It should allow us to accept and inspire us to extend the grace of God wherever we go to whomever we meet. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The prayer also guides us. It serves as a means of guidance. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It guides us where we should go and keeps us from where we shouldn't. Jesus himself said that the gate and path were narrow that led to salvation. And few find it. We need God's guidance to stay on the path that God has called us to. We need his leadership. Now, we, we might get it twisted and we might look at this and say, well, the, does God tempt us? Does God cause us to do evil? Well, James tells us, no, that's, that's foolishness. God does not tempt us, nor is he tempted by evil. We are tempted when we are drawn away by evil desires in our heart. And when those desires have come to fruition, they bring about death. Understand that our sin problem is not God leading us in the wrong way to the wrong thing, but us following our own heart's desires. 
So what are we really praying here? God isn't going to lead us into temptation. We're praying that God won't let us wander off the path. God, guide me where I should go. Hey, that's, that's the premise of the whole beginning statement of our, our vision statement, right? Guided by prayer. That, that is foundational. If we are going to do any of the things that preceded what Jesus just said with God, if we're going to understand the greatness of God, if we are going to recognize and receive his grace and share it with others, if we're going to recognize our need for the sustenance that comes from his hand and his hand alone, if we're going to continue to walk in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, according to the forgiveness that he offers, it is only going to be when we follow his lead. When we are guided, when, when we are open to his lead, when we are submitted to his authority. We are to pray for God's strength and guidance to stand strong when trials come. And to keep, help us to keep our eyes on him. That we might follow his lead with our lives. So we see this model of prayer that kind of gives us a, a guide, a model, a, a how-to. It helps us to maintain a proper perspective through this practice of prayer. So that's the first thing. Now turn with me in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 18. And it says this, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know what I want you to recognize in this verse? That prayer is a full-time activity. Prayer is a full-time activity. Now, I kept wanting to write this as prayer is not a part-time activity, but I think the negative doesn't work as well as the positive. I think that is the problem, though. That we tend to think about prayer as a one-stop shop. And a lot of times we let it devolve into just a few things. But prayer is meant to be a regular feature of our daily lives. Can, can we be honest with one another this morning? That for most of us here today, prayer is not what we would consider a major part of our lives. I'm not going to ask for any raising of hands. But I know that many of us struggle with that, that prayer is not always a major part of our lives, that, that maybe we pray before meals sometimes, that we pray when we are super desperate. We, we pray when we're at church, at least at times when we need to make a, a, a blank space so the praise band can get up or get down on the stage, Right? So notice that I'm not just throwing stones, like I'm taking them, that, that we reduce prayer to these things. Prayer is a formality at the beginning of service and a formality at the end of the service. Maybe you pray sometimes, sometimes, before your Sunday school classes. But prayer is one of those things that we often forget about, right? It's just not front of mind for many of us. And I'm looking around at it, and either you all are just trying to maintain poker faces because you don't want me to know the truth, or I am the only sinner in the church today. Uh, amen. Gene is now looking for a new job. Uh, I struggle with this. That, that it, it's not always front of mind. And I confess that we haven't always done a great job in the church of making prayer the priority that should be. 
I wouldn't say that any of the things that we just said are bad things. As a matter of fact, I think that all of those are good reasons to pray. But all of those things, we, we face many of them throughout the course of any regular day, right? And Paul says we should pray continually. I think that this is one of the reasons that we get that idea of the aesthetic monk, right? The person that hides away in a cave that dedicates their life to prayer. And, and I think that there's value to that. But that's not us. That's not a Baptistic thing, right? So what does it mean to, to pray continually? How would our lives be different if rather than viewing prayer or talking to God as a formality, something that needs to be done in a formal manner, something we do in cases of emergency, Rather than that, we begin to see prayer as standard operating procedure for our day-to-day lives, for our hour-to-hour existence. What if rather than trying to shove prayer into a few boxes throughout the day, we just maintained a running conversation with God, an open mindset to speak to God whenever the Spirit moved? What, What might that type of prayer look like? Remember, I threw myself under the bus at the beginning. I remember going to one of those mentors that had what I thought was a robust prayer life. And he said, you know, Jeremy, our nightly prayers only last a few minutes. Like, what were you trying to do? And I was like, I was trying to have big theological discourses. He's like, no, man. He said, my prayer life is more like, rather than it being a steak dinner, it's more like popcorn. It pops up here and it pops up there and it pops up here and it pops up there. And whenever there's a moment, I begin to pray. And I thought, wow, what a... What an interesting way to think of that. So I'm, I, I'm not saying this is the only way to do this, but if you're like me and you struggle to find times for prayer, I'm going to give you some suggestions of how I try to practice a sense of praying continually. First thing is I just pray for people when they come to mind. Like I don't, just, I don't, I don't write down all the prayer requests and say, oh, i got to wait to pray for this later. And I actually go a step further because my mind runs a million different directions. And so sometimes one of my greatest times of prayer is when I'm driving. If you work in the medical field, if you are a, pro- a person at First Baptist Church and you work in the medical field, every time I, walk pa- I drive past Schneck Medical Center, I pray for you by name. Every time. And if I have your phone number, I try to text you and let you know. And it doesn't matter if you just work at Schneck Medical Center. If you work in a medical field anywhere, I pray for you when I drive past Schneck Medical Center. If you work in a school and you're a teacher and I know you, I pray for you when I drive by one of the schools. If you own a business here in Seymour and I drive past your business, I pray for you. If you happen to be driving down the road at the same time I am and I see you in your car, which a lot of times I don't because I'm lost in my own world. But if I do, I pray for you. It's one of the reasons that I hate when you all buy new cars. Can you stop? <laughs> it, it hurts my prayer life. When you buy a new car, buy the same model you had before. All right? That would help me. Thank you very much. Tangent over. But it's really simple. Hey, God. Pray that you'd be with Dr. Woods today, whatever's going on in his life as he works at the hospital. Pray you'd be with Dr. Chambers. Pray you'd be with Dr. Brooks. Pray that you'd be with Lynn Driver. Hey, God, I pray that as I drive by, I pray you'd be with Jill Barley. Pray you'd be with Justin Kelly. Drive past the pizza place. God, I pray that you'd be with Sean and Jen today. 
and thank you for pizza. It's really simple, but you just pray for people when they come to mind. Sometimes when I'm scrolling through Facebook, wasting my life, like we're wont to do, and I see your name come up, I'll just pray for you. It's simple. Maybe we make prayer too difficult, popcorn prayer. Or it is helpful to sometimes write down prayer concerns and pray for them when you might otherwise be playing on your phone or watching TV. Writing down prayer requests and just taking time or taking the prayer list that, and you may not even know this, we send out a prayer list every week from the church office, send it out on on email and and make it available on our website. You can pull down that prayer list and, and maybe rather than jumping right on the TV, you just take a few minutes to pray for that prayer list. You know, you surely won't fill all of that time with prayer. But dedicating a bit of time when you have time is a good habit to develop. And this is, this is the overarching principle that I want you to walk away with this part of this. Don't feel like you have to pray for a long time in order for a prayer to be meaningful. Don't think that you have to get deep into the weeds or rich into the Bible or deep into theological treatises and understandings for God to know you. The Bible tells us that God already knows before we ask him. But he still wants to hear from us. I think the biggest thing for prayer to to be a part of our lives is we just have to start participating in it. God is already listening. God is already speaking. But are we playing our part in our prayer lives? And Why should we do all of this? Why should we pray continually? Why should it be such a central feature in our lives? Because brothers and sisters, prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. Turn with me to James chapter 5. James 5, starting in verse 13, says, Is there anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call to the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You know, I actually like the King James version of this a little bit better because it says the effective prayer of the righteous person is powerful. You know, I think that that is is better because James is in that sense saying that prayer is only effective if we do it. It seems like common sense. But the most effective prayer is not necessarily the big flowery rich prayer. It's not the long prayer. You know what prayer is most effective? The one that you dare to pray. When life is bad, pray. When life is good, pray. When you're sick, Pray. When you've messed up, pray. When you feel all alone, call together your brothers and sisters in Christ and pray. I think there's also a sense in this, and this is kind of tangential, but I I feel the need in the moment as the Spirit's moving to say this, that part of prayer is us being open and honest with God about who we are and what we've done and being open and honest with one another about what we've done. Two things that jump out to me as I'm thinking about this right now. One, 
We are to bear our brother and sister's burdens. Two, you are your brother's keeper. And three, we should be open and honest and accountable to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Prayer is appropriate and necessary in all seasons, in all situations. And James starts by calling us to prayer in our personal lives. We resonate with this in our modern culture. We believe that prayer is a private thing, that faith is a private thing. But you do understand that most of the times when it talks about prayer, even when you go to the Our Father prayer, then when it talks about prayer, it's talking about, it uses, it uses plural words. That yes, prayer should happen in private. But prayer is very much a public thing and we shouldn't be ashamed to stand up and just pray our simple, short prayers. We shouldn't avoid it. I get that it's, it's a struggle. You know, sometimes I stand up here and you may hear me have a pregnant pause in my prayer. That's not me being spiritual. That's me not knowing what to say in that moment and trying to cover the fact that I have no idea what to say or how to say it. Prayer only works when we do it. And so you know what? I'm dedicated. We are dedicated as First Baptist Church to being a praying church. We're dedicated to doing exactly what this passage says. Perhaps you've seen recently where someone is sick and they will tell us, and, or someone is facing a struggle and they will tell us, and we have them come to the front, we sound, surround them with the deacons and deaconesses, we all stand up and we hold up our hands and we pray for them. You know why? Because the Bible says we should do it. Because prayer is powerful and effective when we do it. Prayer makes a difference. In his classic work, Celebration of Discipline, Richard J. Foster writes this. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he wills. Progressively, we are taught to see things from his point of view. All those who have walked most closely with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. Prayer is foundational to a healthy relationship with God. Prayer reminds us of the greatness of God and the greatness of our need. Prayer reminds us of the depths of God's goodness and the provision of his power. Prayer reminds us to seek his face and to follow his guidance. Prayer reminds us and allows us to share his grace with one another and with the world. But it all starts with us making prayer a priority, both as individual believers and as a body of believers. As we move into the future, may prayer not just be something we do on the margins, but may it be a central feature of who we are as the people of God of First Baptist Church. May it define us as we follow the Lord into the future, as we seek to live out his will to be his people. May we not be afraid to come to the front to ask for prayer or to pray with others. May we not be afraid to ask for others to pray for us, and may we not be afraid to offer to God the prayers that he lays on our hearts. Let us bathe this church and one another in prayer. Let's bathe the other churches in this community in prayer. And let's see what happens as the power of God is unleashed in our lives and in our world. May we be a people that is guided and girded up by prayer.
Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. I thank you for the gift of prayer, for the power of prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a people of prayer. Guide us and direct us, Lord. Inspire our hearts. Help us to be people that seek your face and follow you as you lead. Help us to be people who hear your voice and share your grace. Lord, guide us by the power and presence of your spirit as we call out to your name in Jesus' name.